Hey everyone, Zach Kastner here, member of the FTOP team fixing the optical problem in your resident optician. Just giving a quick little blurb before this week's episode. Uh, we had a couple of technical difficulties that we just wanted to apologize for during it, but we hope that you guys love this next interview that we did. Hello and welcome to Fixing the Optical Problem, where we are trying to not contribute to the optical problem. I'm Zach Kastner, ABOAC, owner of Shorewood Opticians in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and your resident optician. Joined as ever by Matthew Smith, otherwise known as That Glasses Guy, and owner of That Glasses Guy Optique. Matt, how are we doing today? I don't even know how I'm doing today. You know I never take in with myself to answer that question. So I <laughs> That's hope true. everyone and else is doing great because we've got some and awesome stuff coming today. Yes. And for those in the audience, uh, this is already take two. Take one lasted all of one second before we lost our um, lost our composure. So we'll see how this goes. If this goes out, then you know it didn't take three takes. We are joined today, though, by Barry Santini over in New York. Um, he's not an optical shaman like our last guest. Um, I don't know how I would describe you besides someone who just has lots and lots of knowledge and that we all come to. Yeah, perhaps. You know, I've got a lot of years. Uh, this month is my 50th year in the industry. Wow. Oh. <laughs> I started in January of uh, 1973. That's a little bit before I was born, Barry. <laughs> yeah, well, I still feel pretty youthful about it. You know, it was my dad's business, so I learned a lot from him. Sure, sure. And then I'm assuming you grew your own knowledge base and went from there tried to <laughs> what i discovered is a lot of stuff i used to throw out that he would say actually had some resonance the more i learned it fair enough well barry you're on for a reason today but before we get to that i think we should talk a little bit about your background and who you are i don't think i could do it justice so it's probably best just coming from you all right, well, an optician, I was trying to be a musician, which my father didn't want me to be. And I went to music school. And when I decided that I also couldn't be a musician, <laughs> or at least a professional one, um, I slid back into the idea of maybe uh, becoming an optician like my father. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been working at it uh, really since that point. I have a lot of experience uh, in all different facets. Uh, I grew up in the age of glass lenses and rimless, drilling rimless in glass and all sorts of things that I think would be from a craft standpoint, not only difficult for most people to do today, but that would be difficult for me to do today. Uh, uh, just, I can't it, even imagine. Yeah. So, you know, that's just the way things are. But that's why if somebody asked me to uh, put a rimless together with CR39, it doesn't phase me because I used to do it in glass. Uh, anyway, um, so I had some experience starting in the 80s uh, with a fledgling binocular and telescope business. And I learned a lot about optics from that experience and some of the people I hobnobbed with, one of which was a, a person named Al Nagler, who was an optical engineer. And he actually led the team that designed the Apollo, the Gemini, and the lunar landing simulators for NASA. So on my optics background, in terms of geometric optics, telescope optics, that type of stuff is very strongly grounded. That does not mean I'm equally well grounded in ophthalmic optics. I've tried to walk bridging those two worlds really since that time. They're really sure. two entirely different disciplines. 
anyway, so I've been running my own shop. My father passed in the 80s. And uh, basically, I think of what I do out front as a science experiment every day. I'm trying to figure things out like you guys discussed. That's not, hey, only, that's not only the optical standpoint, but also like the business standpoint. You know, how do you make this all work in an ever-changing and evolving market? <laughs> that's the truth. You know, I, I tell clients all the time about, um, you know, if I hadn't been an optician first and I opened a business, they wouldn't be sitting there today because it's two totally different things. It is. It's a good thing that I had a little experience first that I could do the day-to-day -day stuff and then try to figure out the, the back end of the business when no one was around. But so that's, that's uh, what was that, Barry? I'm sorry. There's not, there's not much more to flesh out about my background than that. I mean, you'll, you'll see little dribs and drabs come in. Um, well, look, it, that background is one of the things that makes me excited about what I think are new technical advances in ophthalmic optics. And so that's what I bring to the table today. Yeah, because I mean, in 50 years, you've seen probably a little bit of every kind of advancement there is. Progressive has developed in that time as well, right? So you've see, really seen. I've seen oh. a lot. I've seen panelist edging, right? Oh, my goodness. Something that uh, I take for granted every day. Oh, that for granted. <laughs> oh, wait, you, you stay here. As I've got, Barry just walked away for those of us who are listening. Um, I've got 12 jobs waiting for me when I get back to the office. Uh, to cut still. I've already cut seven, I think. So I've got a busy day with my patternless edger. So my father had metal patterns. Oh, wow. That's How cool. The that's, that's the rimless one, right? And here's uh, the B-51 from Bausch and Long. And then not only did you have those things, but you don't see these that often. Every shape and size had a sizing ring. Here's how you sized them. You sized them by pinching this eye wire together. Okay. That's you really cool. Them. If they fit this perfectly, I'm trying to get it in here. Yeah. yeah. See, if they fit this perfectly, it would fit the frame perfectly. Those products made between, as Moss Lipow says, but made between World War One and World War II were the highest quality mass, mass production consumer goods that were ever made. Right. They were made because they made them as good as they could be, as opposed to as good as they needed to be. Makes sense. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a nice thing to uh, bring to the modern era? Well, there is. as good as they could be. It looks like this. It's JMM. <laughs> we can talk about JMM another day, another but I think time. we got right, you on for day, lenses today. <laughs> you know, our last uh, our last guest, we got off topic quite a bit. We're gonna we're gonna try to focus a little today, <laughs> only a little. I know, I know. And Scott, I know you're listening, and we appreciate all your tangents. So that was not a criticism. Okay, just a comment. Okay, good. <laughs> One last thing about your background that you have neglected to mention, Barry. You're an ABOM, are you not? Yes. So you do know a thing or two about optics, just for well, people in the audience. The ABOM at the time I took it was the, what we now call the advanced exam or the ABOAC. Uh, and then you had to write a paper of at least 10,000 words. Today, they, they, in order to encourage more people, they, they split the exam out for the ABOAC because a lot of people aren't like, and including me at the time, not, not the best mm -hmm. writers. 
And uh, now if you, you get, uh, if you do some publishing or you write an article for the magazine or you write a couple of things or a CE or you give a CE, that's considered mm-hmm. a legitimate tender toward the ABO, and which honestly I'm fine with. But what it also does is it doesn't let the individual viewpoint of a person have to be congealed and, and expressed. Sure, which is the route that I'm going to have to go at some point. I've got a little time yet before I'm even allowed to apply for the abom so i'm saying that i've got extra time but i'm really just stalling well i'm just to let you know i've signed up for the um advanced ophthalmic society is that what it's called from australia i'm not familiar yeah they have a really steep a certification path that I've looked at it and it's 10 times tougher than anything in the ABO. And I'm starting that in February. It's 11 weeks mm-hmm. and the seminars are at seven o'clock Australian time, which means I have to be up at 3 a.m. once a week to take those webinars. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to do it because it's the Good. challenge. It's the challenge lying ahead. Good for you, Barry. Good for you. I'm I'm glad you're doing it because I will not be up at what would be 2 a.m. my time. I love a good challenge, but challenges that happen after 9 a.m. Well, remember, <laughs> yeah, no it's a challenge. I didn't say I'd pass it. We're going to find out. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, Barry, you're on today to talk a little bit about some new technology coming out of Zeiss. Is that correct? Yes. This is the Zeiss Clearview category of lenses. It is their single vision. It's their umbrella term for all their new single vision. It is a term that will be used at once for their finished single vision, and it will be used for their surface, uh, uh, anything you make at the lab. So the entire category of single vision is now being renamed Clearview. The only thing that lies outside of Clearview per se is individual single vision. Okay, so they're one of their freeform styles. Right. Like one of their the, the top three form style. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what we might have called the uh, uh, single vision 3D, uh, that's yeah. now clear view uh, at the left. Got it. Yeah. And what significant changes have they made to basically well, update their technology, right? They're, they're not just releasing something from a marketing standpoint, I'm hoping. I'm hoping they're bringing new tech to the table that's going to aid us as ECPs and aid our consumers too in better vision. They say they're bringing single vision technology that has significantly better optics than the majority of lenses that have been out there. And that includes all the spherical single vision and most of the aspheric single vision and a little bit of the atoric single vision. Okay. And they're also presenting it with um, a cosmetic bent where the lenses are flatter and particularly in plus noticeably thinner. So they figure all your single vision lenses have just got an upgrade because now you get the benefits of improved optical performance, particularly off axis. You get flatter lenses that are cosmetically more appealing and well, not to be a commercial, because I don't know what the answer to this is. Uh, there's no upcharge for this. So they're keeping their pricing essentially the same or effectively yes. the same. It's not, and, and I don't know the pricing, but it's essentially the same. Okay. Because I do work with Zeiss currently. Um, they're one of my lens manufacturers. So I haven't heard too much from my rep just yet, not calling him out or anything. I think he's great. Um, but I'm 
this is very new to me. So they're just rolling of. it out now. It's going to be mm -hmm. CR thirty nine uh, as a concession to the U.S. market, polycarbonate. They're focusing on one six, which all, I agree all of us should be. There will be Trivex. There'll be one six seven, and there will be one seven four. Now that's new for Zeiss because Zeiss typically doesn't do a lot in one six. One six is the featured material. I like as hearing it that. Should. I agree. <laughs> One six is great. So just for just for giggles, I had a guy come in from Greenwich, Connecticut, which is a bit of a distance to come to Long Island. He buys mm -hmm. a Cami Manon frame from me for eight hundred dollars, and he wears spherical lenses, a minus one and a quarter, minus two and a quarter. But he wants really good stuff. So I said, I'm going to fit you with the new Zeiss Clearview, not knowing how long it would take me to get it or or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I order them at 4.45 p.m. Friday, and I get the lenses Monday morning. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, they have a working stock, and they're trying to do it very quickly. I finished the edging job on Monday, and then I texted him. I said, they're done. You want me to ship them? <laughs> well, I will be interested to hear on a follow-up on how those performed for him and what he thinks. Well, you know, I don't expect on a 42-millimeter round frame we're going to hear oohs and ahs. I will tell you that whatever his last optician in Portland fitted him with was poor in terms of AR reflection. And the new ones are actually less reflective on DuraVision Platinum than the previous. So they're really okay. quite invisible. Good. Okay. And so these are then cast lenses as well, correct? It's not necessarily. Yes, these are molded surface. lenses. That's correct. Okay. They're molded, but the secret is that they are, and this is the confusing point is that they are creating a free-form single vision, right? And I see your smirk. I see your smirk. <laughs> what can I say? I wear it on my I, – I, I can't hide things. I wear it on my sleeve. I wear it on my face. So, you know what? Let me pull up one slide that helps, helps explain this as easy as possible. How's that? That's perfect. This All is right. not just benefiting Matt and I, although Matt's quiet today. Again. Yeah, we're going to go here, and then I'm going to pull it up, and then I've got to go get the slide. So hold on. For those on audio, now would be a great time to switch over to the YouTube channel just so you can take a peek at this. And then don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe, leave comments, leave reviews. I don't even care if they're bad at this point. Just say something. We want to hear from you. This is what happens when you're old is that you don't get a, a terrific memory. Let's look at this slide for a second. Can we? Can you see this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So they decided that not only are they going to look at it from an optical standpoint in terms of theory, they're going to use a vision clarity simulation to say what kind of target vision will subjectively will somebody get. And so their target is best clear vision that's unblurred, as sharp as it can reasonably be. Then they also define something called just noticeable blur. And look, it, it hovers around a quarter diopter. That's where you first notice that there are changes in the acuity. Then mm -hmm. there's just troublesome blur. I like this term. This is when a person starts to notice that, hey, this is bothering me. There's a difference between first noticing something and actually being bothered by it. And then there's objectionable, which is I'm not dealing with this. So if you look at those three diopter categories, that, that matches the complaints I get at the desk very very succinctly. 
when a person's ad for progressives is a half diopter off, they are complaining. And if it's three quarters of a diopter off and they're myopic, they're taking their glasses off. Mm -hmm. I really like this, the noticeable blur, troublesome blur, objectionable so blur. They, they've used the metric to gauge how clear the vision is for the lenses. And I'm looking for a slide. Forgive me while I, oh, no, that's not it. Okay. I have to go. Oh, here it is. That, that's it. Let's look at this slide. All right. So you got standard single vision on the left-hand side. There's one parameter, the spherical curve you get to play with in order to get the, the, the optical goal. The second one is aspheric single vision. You got about five parameters, meaning five points on the lens that you define the slope of the curve, right? Mm -hmm. And those are the three work, those are the five working parameters. In they call it double aspheric, that you could also call atoric. So now you got a cylindrical prescription. Technically, by corrective curve or Schernig's ellipse, you need two individual cross curves in order to make both of those powers perfect. But if you're working with a spherical lens, all you can do, front surface, I should say, all you can mm -hmm. do is manipulate the backside. And so they're saying you have essentially nine parameters that you're working with because the one common dot in the middle is shared between the two axes. But the key is the area between those two axes, the question is what's going on there? So I'm going to ask you, Zach, what's going on there? What's going on there? Am I getting interviewed now? What's going I'm on? I'm asking this? because this is the crux of the difference. The the last thing is Zeiss has mapped that transition area, that mm. blend area between the two axes, using their four metrics in mm. order to create a surface that meets their design goals for subjective blur. Yeah, because between those two axes is typically where errors pop up, right? That's when someone who has higher sill, higher cylinder power, we they get that off gaze blur. It's not essentially is what's going so on. So it's not just let's grade these two areas together. Mm -hmm. And I'm not inferring what, what's been done. But by the way, all their performance claims, to be fair, I want to be fair, all their performance claims about what this lens does is done against their product in these categories. Sure. All right. So I think that's that's a fair thing to look at. Yeah, they're competing with themselves. They're not trying to pull some bottom of the barrel lens out and and make it happen that way. Well, there we go. I said I think we lost Matt there for a minute, but here he is. I'm back. <laughs> I had a giant blue screen pop up, but let me tell you, now I know this keeps recording after that happens. So that's good. We didn't lose anything except for me. I'm quiet anyway. Nobody wants well, to look. Well, look, I'm not being paid by Zeiss for this. I am presenting this, which is why I have the slide deck to locally to New York Opticians in two mm -hmm. weeks. And uh, they gave me uh, permission to talk about this here with you guys in an effort to basically see if you critics would have questions about it that I can help, you know, answer. And then the audience would learn something from it as well. Yeah, Which so is I, what we're here for. <laughs> it, it is. It's to criticize. That's that's all we're here for is being critical. No. Especially <laughs> me. Yes, especially you. Um, I would say my biggest question is what are they doing different that's creating a freeform surface on the backside? That exactly that. They've carefully mapped 
that transition area using their metric of clear vision. But they're still casting the lens. Blended. So the question is, how do you, meaning me or anybody, know what the optical performance of any of those finished lenses are, right? Yeah. All we do is use 20 happy. The term I love that Scott hates, hey, am I getting complaints? Why should I spend more money? Why should mm -hmm. I do different things, right? Mm -hmm. So That's fair. This is, this is a reason to move into this technology is not only is it optically better, but it's cosmetically better. If you've read my papers on the war between optics and cosmetics, you know that mm -hmm. optics is almost always losing the cosmetics. Here we have a chance to have flatter, more attractive lenses that fit frames better and keep the, not only keep the optical performance, but surpass it from what you're using. And it's meant to be a bridge, right, between mm -hmm. finished lenses and surface the, the freeform surface is still going to be the gold standard because you can personalize it etc but this is a way of basically taking your regular single vision and giving it an upgrade and there's no reason that you can't do it because it doesn't cost you a lot more money if you're using good lenses. So this i know you mentioned earlier the old zeiss 3d sv so this would be more like your sort of a freeform single vision lens calculation based on the default calculations so the standardized whatever they determine their standardized panoscopic tilt vertex so interestingly all that and this is a point that needs to be a little more clarified mm -hmm. they would still expect you to fit this with martin's rule okay interesting and, okay okay which i guess yeah, would make sense for a to, be fair, to be fair this information is a little fluid because questions, I've been asking questions, other people that I know who are knowledgeable uh, at Zeiss are asking questions, and we're trying to make sure we, we hone the edges of this technically for the most astute people like yourselves and the audience so that we're, we're, we're not misleading people or saying things that are improper. But, I mean, look, finished lenses, as Zeiss shows you, are such a large portion of the lens market in single vision, but it's the area we treat with the most disdain. Yep. Right? Barry was talking to Matt, calling him astute there for the audience. He was not talking to me. Remember, resident optician. <laughs> okay. <You know? laughs> so I, I guess, yes, that's that was my biggest question, which you essentially just answered there is, is it default measurements? How are they basically coming up with these freeform backside, essentially, that they're casting then? So it's not it's, being generated, it's being cast. It's cast, and the molds are measured, and the subsequent casted lenses are you're all using Zeiss's known, worldwide known metrology, good to 1.5 microns. But then in addition, they're using their own proprietary metrics with that vision clarity simulator to make sure that these lenses are providing the degree of uh, uh, visual satisfaction, we'll call it. In other words, mm -hmm. that I think I see really clear with them, as opposed to this has zero astigmatism, right? They're basically taking the power error and the astigmatism error, and they're creating an RMS value out of it, which you know IoT loves to do. It's mm -hmm. the basis of their latest stuff. Right. And saying that we've got this pretty much honed down within a 50 millimeter lens size around the center. That that's the okay. qualifier. It, it, it's it's the, all these performance factors are to 50 millimeters of the lens blend. To 50, five, zero? Five, zero, 50 millimeters. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's that a pretty good bad. lens size. It's a pretty good lens size. Now, as you get into more uh, 
astigmatic corrections, that's where uh, there's a d divorce between uh, what those stock lenses can do and what these lenses and real freeform can do. And mm -hmm. so this is where the the uh, claim for three up to three times better of wider vision comes from. It's because it's related to the uh, the astigmatic prescriptions. I'm going to say, Barry, that it drives me crazy anytime someone says three times better or 30% better or anything like that. Right. So I'm going to reserve judgment until I've seen it in action a little well, bit because uh, so, that is like my hot button, just like irritation. Well, I don't want to make it a commercial, but within the slide deck and within the presentations you'll subsequently see in the white papers, they, they outline the basis for making these claims. And I look at it and, I, and I'm fine with that based on exactly how they present it. You may decide, I don't like the framework you're, you're using to, to find that, but that's a different story. I'm going to stop talking for a minute and give Matt a chance if he wants yes, to have a few more follow-up questions. I don't have any follow-up questions. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. That's what I do. I sit here and I absorb, and then I throw something in that makes everybody go, where the hell did that come from? Yeah, we right. know. So, let's take a look at the <laughs> only lenses I've handled, that minus one and a quarter and minus two and a quarter. They were done in the one six version with okay. mm -hmm. Vision Platinum. And I clocked the curves. The one and a quarter was a 275 cur true curve, and the two and a quarter was a 250 true curve on one set. That's very flat for stock. That is flat. So in some cases, in plus, between the flattening of the curve, uh, you can have a reduction in thickness for a finished lens of that diameter of up to 50%. I have. For those that are listening that maybe don't know this already, single vision lenses already run thinner when they're stock versus a surface freeform in most cases. Now, sometimes we can push the lab a little bit and get that really thin yeah, surface. I, I've, got, in general, I've got one good gonna, picture here I'm going to share. Okay, cool. But yeah, in general, you'll see that a stock lens will be a little bit thinner than a true finished freeform, even if the optics aren't quite as. So take a look bright. at the top at plus four. Looks yeah, that's good. pretty solid for a moderate plus. That's, that's very pretty impressive. Solid. That's impressive by any measure. Now, even in the minus eight, you, you don't see as much of that difference because of the sagittal differences between the two classes of lenses, mm -hmm. but it's still extremely impressive. This is the really the first series of lenses that's been brought to the market, finished, and now also surfaced, which is why it's a global name renaming, which has these cosmetic vantages with without the optical uh, disadvantage. So this is kind of an idea of trying to bring the two worlds closer together, right? The quick yes. turn, ready to go stocks versus the three or four day processing for the lab finished but at a higher grade than just the standard sphericals out there. And you can keep a stock of them in your office, you know, if you're an edging place like I am. So if you got to, if you got to deliver fast service, you can do fast service with basically unparalleled optics until you get to having to have to surface it. I mean, I've been a big fan of freeform single vision for years and mm -hmm. I would often um, use the lens in order to get the curve I wanted for the cosmetics and the frame fit. Right. Mm -hmm. But now I may not have to do that so much. Boo hoo for me. 
<laughs> yeah, because I know there's a lot of brands out there that have super flat frames. And I mean, you can't throw a four or six base stock in a frame that's effectively a two base, at least not without making it awful. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends. I mean, that's a that's another lecture, which honestly, I think that although I think I have pretty good chops with that, I suspect that Scott has better chops. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Maybe we'll bring you both on and you guys can argue about it. Matt and I will just walk away. We'll just let you run. He will not tolerate me, so we'll have to see. We'll see. We'll see what comes out on this ad on social media after the fact. So I have two quick follow-up questions regarding these lenses. Okay. One, what is release date? Now. They're already available. Not in every material. Not in every material. This is where not being a Zeiss employee, I don't know firsthand. Uh, I just serendipitously discovered that the 1.6 are instantly available because that is their featured material. If you think about it, you know, everybody claim uh, complains about Abbey. Why not use one of the most Abbey friendly materials that you can, that's going to also give you uh, good optics. Absolutely. And then do we know what parameters, especially on the stock vision, like the stock lenses is the range? Because, yeah. So what it's available in, because if it's only available into a plus two cell, that's not, I don't much know. of a boon. Okay, fair enough. You're allowed to say you don't know. I, I, don't I, I appreciate that. I don't know. Okay. I, I've been trying to work out just getting the high points of this presentation out. And, you know, my, <laughs> and I had trouble, I have to confess to you, I had trouble understanding what they were bringing to the table a lot mm-hmm. until I realized that in the Zeiss presentation, the area they call the blend area. I call the transition area between the two principal spherocylindrical meridians. And that's mm-hmm. the no man zone that we've just accepted, but never questioned. And if we use the metric of, if my patient's complaining, we're going to get nowhere. <laughs> yes. Cause they're not going to detect that. Even but I can 20, take a lens. 20 happy is what makes people get used to glasses. What's make people, uh, uh, if they have a small change in the fluidity of their vision between exams, tolerate it. But it also masks for us finding out what is the best, what is the best solution, which is why whatever the best you want to define it, that's why the, the, the biggest complainer, the person who is finicky, who, who, can never be pleased. That's my challenge. I'll do whatever's necessary to figure that out, including changing their prescription by a 16th of a diopter. We've talked about that. Yeah. We talked about that a few, uh, maybe a month or two ago now. Yeah. Yep. I'm, <laughs> I'm well aware. Hmm. Matt, I'm currently digesting this information. You got to tag in for me one more time here, buddy. No, no, that's there's a lot to digest here. Um, so, uh, I will I think say so. Question on this would be, um, and, and and Scott talked about this on your podcast. Mm-hmm. So, would you really want this to be the same price as the lenses they're replacing? I mean, you could leave it the same price, but I think the public's perception is better if it hierarchically has a little more cost associated with it depending on what you're using, of course. Oh, for sure in the U.S. We've talked about that recently with Rodenstock, right? You can't mm-hmm. bring this product to the market and say, hey, this is so much better. We've put all this extra research into it. Here's our newest, highest tech thing. And you're getting it for the same price as the old one. 
I will say right now that's a little bit more of a possibility just because everyone's trying to bring more value for the dollar while the whole economic situation is whatever it is. But in general, the perception of a higher quality item is going to come with a higher quality price. Well, so keep in mind, keep in mind that IoT does that though. IoT does not charge extra when they release new new technology levels. When DRP two came out, they didn't increase their prices. Right. That's true. That's true. So I I think it's a a business to business thing, mm -hmm. um, and us working with consumers rather than business to business. Potentially, yes, I can understand where you're coming from, Barry. That there's that increase in cost, but. Um, in my market, there is sometimes trust that's built. That's basically saying, here's the newest level of technology. There's no increase in cost with it. We're, we've just replaced the old with what's better for you. Because that's well, kind of what I've been doing with my clients. And that would be resonant with the way Zeiss is presenting this. And, and, mm -hmm. and asking people who might otherwise say, well, I'm not interested. And they would say, why? What's your risk? Sure. Right. Uh, another another thing about this is I don't think you're going to get a lot of people that you transition into this product that are going to say, wow, they're going to put it on and they're going to go, wow. I think the more insidious thing, the thing we really need is the whoa. When someone else fits them with technology back down to the regular tier. Now, that sure. my customers, the ones that come back to me, they go, I didn't realize how good your stuff was until I went, my friend said I have to. Oh, or I should try this person or that person because I I actually don't present tiered product in my store. I just sell them what the Same. best is, right? Uh, this is it. If you want to trade down from that, I'll show you what you're doing. But for the most part, I try to keep my prices fair like you do and try to offer the best thing so that my, my, my metric has always been when they walk out of my store with a new pair of glasses, and the most critical opticians on earth encountered them and said, let me see them. I want them to say, you got good stuff. Not that the customer thinks they're good, that the most critical people that are knowledgeable would say, good workmanship, good fit, good everything. And do I do that all the time? No. <laughs> but at least you try. Hey, you aspire to do that all the time. We all make mistakes, right? Oh, sometimes intentional. As your residence optician, that let me tell you, I sometimes make mistakes. Oh, Matt, I'm on the other hand, Matt perfect. Yeah. Oh. oh, I'm far from perfect. I present I'm perfectly. I'm pretty bad with that. My my partner says that uh, that you know he he just can't believe how many mistakes I make. Most of my mistakes, by the way, are arithmetic. I decide I want to make the height two millimeters different, and I go the wrong direction. Uh oh, <laughs> that's never good. Right, that's a favorite. You know, or he calls me sometimes Dr. Royston Tenoff because I'm measuring the height and somehow I lost 10 millimeters on it and didn't realize. Oh, that's a favorite one. Yep, yep. Or five millimeters off. I've done yeah, that looking at that's a Dr. Royston five off. Yeah, there you go. I can take that one. <laughs> Too funny. Well, maybe off camera, Barry, we won't put you uh, on the spot here. We'll have to talk about what your remake rate is. My remake rate has been high. Uh, you want to know? It vacillates between to. 20 and 25%. Wow. Because that that's much more than I was anticipating. Because it isn't just optics. They're unhappy with the fashion. They don't like the fit. Their family didn't like it. Whatever it takes, when you come into my store, I'm basically underpinning total wear eyewear satisfaction. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like a woman that I carefully just worked with the other day with her monovision contacts. I set her up with a Plano and a plus 75 so she could see the computer. I said, show me where your computer is, right? She came in to pick them up. I demonstrated, goes, man, these are great. I can't believe how good they are. I got an email today, three days later. They're not working. I'm three feet from the computer. Oh, no. Measurement right? issues. So what are you going to do? That, yeah, not you, you fix it. That's what you do. A precise, factual source of information. Sometimes you have yep. to outguess these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you fix so, it. That's what you do. So, and, you know, that, that's why we do remakes. helping me. And when they don't help me or I decide that they shouldn't help me, I'll just pay for it. And uh, the way I say that is that. It's the idiot tax. Well. You That's know, what I call it. I sometimes pay the idiot tax. You paid your education if you went to school like me. Your education doesn't stop throughout your career. Be willing to pay for it. If you want to experiment with somebody, let's do it. Right? 100%. That's it. Yes, let's, a... let's, let's see if this works. Hey, I figured out that endless steady lenses are mm -hmm. really, really useful for the majority of people because they combine the best aspects of a soft lens with the acuity of a hard lens designed in progressives. So it's now one of my favorite go-to designs. You know, Barry, it's a great thing that you're kind of bringing this up, not, not the endless study, but how you do your own education because that's been my biggest complaint with the optical field, even though we've had a conversation that you don't like it called that, but, but basically being an optician is a lot of it is self-education. You know, it's mostly the education that we get is marketing that comes at us, but we have to be the ones that sift through it and decide what works and what doesn't. You know, in there's any, only so much publishing. In any challenge you're faced outside, there are so many moving parts. You mentioned this in a previous podcast. That's what was very resonant to me. There are so mm -hmm. many moving parts that if you're really doing that well, you are truly a master at sorting that stuff out. And sometimes a person, a patient, a, a, a wearer will say something to me and I unduly focus on it. And I paint that they come back to pick it up and they go, well, yeah, that's great. Then they come back three days later. This is awful over here. Well, oh, no, 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 I'm not gonna wear it for that. You know, like, let me tell you, the. Let's have some fun a second. A first oh, have we not been having fun? A first generation Italian comes into my store and says, yeah, I have a new prescription. Okay. I'm not making fun. This is the way they speak. Right? Yep. What do you want? I want a reading glass. Okay. I see he's got distance prescription mild. He's got a reading prescription that's mild. I said oh, a little bit stronger. So I, I make up. And he comes in to put them on. And he looks. I give him a reading card. And he looks. And he looks up. And he goes, these are no good. I said, no, 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 look at the reading card. He looks up and he goes, I cannot see. I said, no, these are reading glasses. You want to read. You don't want to drive with them. Oh, I want to read in the sand. Yep. <laughs> oh, and, man, I uh, I'll take these back and we're going to go fix them. Right. So you just go with the flow. I mean, yeah. I, I give out refunds easily. No problem. The truth with refunds is he is really unhappy and they want to be restyled or whatever. Never fight it. Never fight it. Just say, yes, no problem. Let's do it. And if you do that and you don't take and you take resistance off the table, they will be a more compliant player.
But if you say no, you know, you had these for six months, you've been wearing them, that's a long period of time, your vision could have changed, this and that, the first thing they do is dig in their heels. And then whatever the cost of those glasses are, if you get a bad review online, you would have paid three times your cost for those glasses to not have that review, right? So true. my friends say, well, what if you ended up giving refunds and restyling to everybody? I said, well, if that was the case, there would be a problem with your public. It'd be a problem with you. That is true. That's very right? true. So you play the odds. I think it's always best to look internally rather than externally when you're having problems. It's you can't blame the client who's not an expert in the field. You got to, you know, got to look at yourself and how do you fix it? That's how I do it. So, look, the public recognizes a lot of names today. They're very aware of optical products. They know good quality products like Shamir. They know Verilux. They know. Um, you said good quality. Uh, yeah. Well, and Verilux. It, it's not a bad lens. It, it, it was a very adaptable lens and it's they a do lens that still hold you, the golden standard it's a dilemma it's a dilemma because you look you look at what it is on paper and you say why would this work and yet it does which lens are we referencing specifically X. here X. we're gonna have to have a whole another podcast about this okay fine <laughs> that, that we ain't doing that today we're, we're talking zeiss today hang on yes I'm not going to get my Zeiss check in the mail now since we've talked on off topic so much. Well, let's let's return it to Zeiss. You know, what I was trying to do by bringing up those various names is no name when recognized by the public has as much strength and power in optics as the Zeiss name. Right. So I have Zeiss brochures on the table and they go, oh. They'll say Zs, they'll say Zas, you know, they'll mispronounce it or I'll mispronounce it, whatever it is. But they know it stands for quality. So that's yep. another reason to consider this because the public knows what Zeiss stands for. And I think that's what we're doing today on this podcast is we're not necessarily or YouTube video, wherever you're wherever you're consuming this media today, is we're not necessarily saying that you need to go out and switch and open up a Zeiss account and start buying exclusively our product. Right. But you should be shopping around. And I yes. think that's something that as ECPs, we sometimes forget to do. We sometimes get too comfortable. But you should be trying other products and seeing if it's better for your market or just better for you and how you fit as a dispenser. So you can't just get locked into only fitting one thing and hoping that it works for everyone. Well, that's right. And know, it's like the one customer that just comes back every year. I just want the same thing I've been wearing. Well, you're not going to want them to do that. Why would you do that with the products you're offering? True. To change because everything they do is managing risk control, right? If they don't, if they don't enthusiastically want to be an early adopter, then it comes up like, well, what if these go left and I have to spend money and time and maybe I look foolish and etc. And that sort of mitigates that. Well, I'm not getting complaints. Why should I change? Twenty happy. If you're not getting complaints, how do you know you're not getting passed up by someone down the block, though? That's true. That is yep. true. That is true. That's what got me to uh, upgrade my edger years ago because I was struggling trying to do some of those early wrap jobs with a whole mm -hmm. lot of handwork and not succeeding. And then I said to myself, what if a, a person down the street with quote unquote less knowledge and experience as me ended up sending the job out to what was at the time Pesh Optical and having them produce a perfectly edged and satisfactorily made wrap? I said, what would I say? If my customer saw those two options, I said, so I said, look, 
I, as much as my ego might hurt and say, well, I don't have the hand skill to make this work. Uh, I have to, uh, I have to up my game. Yeah. You got to be able to adapt. got to be able to change. Right. And for our consumers that are in the market, this hasn't really been directed too much at you at this point, but well, they I guess, like to I guess listen. The, they do. And I guess <laughs> yeah, one of the do. big takeaways <laughs> is, is make sure that you're working with people that are pushing the boundaries and they may not always get it hundred percent right. But when they do, you might get that wow moment and not the whoa moment. So my what clients say that I know whatever it is, if it doesn't work as intended for you or for me, that you'll fix it. And that that's that's the that's the loyalty. They know that I'm going to step up to it. And there are times with repeat customers that I've had to refund because I couldn't do it at that juncture. What circumstance? They just decided that was the restaurant that had the one bad meal. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna trash them all together. Well, that's good. I mean, that's a fair analogy, right? It is. A, it's a very fair analogy. There's lots of analogies we can apply to the optical industry. My employee had the best when when they come back and their uh, height measurement on a multi. He goes, look, I'm low, and I I have to remeasure and and get this in the proper position. Go, oh, why should I trust your measurement now? They said to him, and he goes, hey. Just because Joe DiMaggio didn't get a hit every time at bat didn't make him one of the best hitters of all time. He would say, you got to look at the percentages. Yeah, right. it's true. Every hey, once in a while, you're going to miss the ball, but most of the time you're going to hit it. Well, look, I don't think there's much else to say about this ice. I know there's a lot much else to say, but this wasn't supposed to be a commercial about get to the nitty-gritty of the technical details and they mm -hmm. think correctly that the potential for this is wide because the largest single lens area in, of sales is single vision and it's the most untapped in terms of getting a truly terrific optical product and that includes good coatings because you know and i know that in the end bad ar you can put it on the best optical Ruins service everything. it's going to be a crash and burn it is yeah. AR, and we've already had one AR discussion once before. But AR is key to the entire experience. Doesn't matter how great that progressive is. Doesn't matter how great the initial vision is. If your AR flakes off in six months, you bet your bottom dollar they're mad. Yeah, and they and you can't blame them. But you know, no, I'm not saying I'm blaming them. I'm that just saying that's employee, the fact. That same employee faced with that situation in six months and the person would throw the glasses down and he goes, look at this coating. It's flaking off. And I paid $600 for these. He'd go, okay, relax. Three words, even Mercedes break. And that would, disarm, <laughs> that would disarm the entire conversation. Yeah. Right. Even Land Rovers are in the shop, right, Matt? Oh, God. Oh, piss off. No, no, Land Rover, do you? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I couldn't uh, help myself. Anyway, right, anyways, so, so any more questions we're on this or, or for Barry in general? I think I'm pretty good at this point. I'm going to have to harass my rep now a little bit um, and see what uh, what he can provide for me. I'm I'm interested in looking at these white papers and seeing what uh, if they're more fluff or if they've actually got some some meat and potatoes to them. Yeah, I'm definitely curious to see what comes out of it. Or within the that um, 
just like you queried the whole concept before you had seen it, some of them are having a little trouble understanding, getting to the root of the of the salient advantages of the lens. And so be kind to them, especially if they're not deeply versed in optics, because once you understand what Zeiss is trying to bring to market here, it's really quite clear. Now, if somebody's going to say, oh, this existed before and this and that, that's a different discussion, you know, but I'm not aware of it. Yeah, it's interesting to see, as you mentioned, the single vision market's always the one that's been neglected. That's why I love to hound every rep that comes in for every lab. They're like, hey, we, we need you to use our lenses. I'm like, cool, what do you actually bring to the table in single vision? Because that's over half of what I'm fitting. What well, do you got for me that's really different and impressive? Zach, you said it on the previous thing. Why is all the attention on progressives? I said, because that's where the fire is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's where the problems are. You're right. 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 You know, but I focused on single vision. I started using freeform single vision very, very early on. And, you know, I use a lot of freeform single vision. I may not use as much now. So what was, what, I guess I have one last question then. This is a very question. What's your break point? For freeform single vision and i know there's multiple variables i'm not saying i'm looking for a hard and fast rule but if you look at something you go oh that's a that's two bucks a sill your best performance is going to be oh no a, it's never dollars it's never dollars no two dot two diopters of sill sorry i called it two bucks oh oh oh, oh. yeah so two diopters sill well no it isn't just optical for me uh because if i decide that uh, and in this case, let's take a look at this. Zeiss is doing something wonderfully cosmetically by flattening the curves that they're made on. I may want a steeper curve than the than the frame than the lens was made on because I want to fit that frame a particular way. You know, in some of those shadow box frames, I like putting what I call a TV screen inside of them where the tube kind of bulges out a little bit to really show the depth of the frame a little bit better. So yeah, I'm I'm playing with a lot of little different things. Do they matter? They matter to me. Uh, they ultimately matter. I guess it's the eye of the beholder. That's true. That's fair. Right? But you know what's nice about this and your podcast is the spectacle factor of podcasts. Um that you guys have very defined opinions, you know, and, and th those, that's what people are coming to you for. They don't want you to waffle. They want you to have an informed opinion. They want to hear the authority of your conviction and your belief. And that's what we as opticians do so poorly when it comes to styling people. That's what I realized. I've waffled too much in my entire life, you know, and you have to become more authoritative. That looks good. We don't like that. And if they don't want to agree, that's fine. But I think you'd be better off in all respects if you if you create that balance and, and speak about everything from a position of belief and authority. And they, listen, they're spidey sense. They know when you're BSing them and when you really believe it. Because <laughs> to you, Matt, I guarantee you they're passionate you do. Yes or no? I think oh, I think I understood that you broke up just a little bit there, Barry. At least your on my end, you did. Say to you, I I see you're very passionate about what you do. Yeah, I yeah I get that absolutely. Yeah. I, I I hear that from customers and clients. Right, uh, that's it. That's the two metrics you want. Gold standard that they recognize that you're all in on what you're doing, 
right? And the other one is when they tell new clients that are in the store who are asking you the beginning questions, say, listen, I've been coming here a long time. I wouldn't think of going anywhere else. That's the gold standard. When they tell yep. people, it doesn't matter if that store has more frames or different frames or lower prices or faster service, this is the place I choose to spend my dollars. And that's a hard one recipe, right? And it I think one of the things that you have to do, since it is about vision, is you have to stay on the cutting edge optically. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Julia Gagosha, so I'm going to have to still play my optical thing. Yes. No, I don't think any of us are <laughs> Julia Gagosha. Yeah, right? Unbelievable amounts of respect to her. I, I've yes. never talked to her, but I see what she does, and it's unbelievable. So, Zach, do yourself a favor and get styled up. by her. Get styled by her. I did. We'll see if it's in, we'll see if it's in the budget this year. Okay. Matt, anything else you want to add? Otherwise, I think we've taken up quite a bit of Barry's time today. We should probably let him get back to work. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I have so many things, but I'll save them for another. We'll have fun another time. <laughs> There's going to be presentations. Your Zeiss come in. There may even be local presentations. Get get the full presentation, not not the half-assed one that I'm doing. You know, and see 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 challenge yourself and see what you think. But I think this is wetting the appetite, people. This is just to wet your appetite. Right. See what you think. Okay. Very good. Well, thanks again, everyone, for uh, attending another Fixing the Optical Problem. Again, I'm Zach Kastner, your resident optician. Got Matt Smith here and Barry. Barry, we can find, if we want more of your information, our best bet is to look at some of your published articles, which are in 2020. Correct me if I'm wrong. If you Google Santini and the topic you're looking for, <laughs> there we go so if, if anyone's interested in more of what barry's written and i read quite a bit of it he's a very very talented writer and he's got a lot of good things to say i can't recommend it enough uh, thank you matt we can find you yeah we can find you here on fixing the optical problem and on your own youtube channel which is that glasses guy and then also on your website that glasses guy and me you can find it short opticians thanks so much everyone appreciate it Man, I think.